listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Roki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Today we have a podcast that is directed specifically to businesses in the health industry. So that's medical practices, allied health and related types of businesses where we're talking all about branding and brand protection. Now, just because we are talking about the health industry, however, doesn't mean that it's only relevant to you if you're in this industry. So I think you would find this content relevant if you have a business or a practice where brand and or goodwill and client loyalty might be something that's important to the value of your business. And today, in order to talk about this topic, we have on board Michelle Taylor from Marketing Practices. In fact, this content that we're talking about today was in fact a webinar that Michelle and I ran together. And in this, we're really looking at how to create a brand that can stand the test of time. We talk about thinking about the now and the secret to marketing that is brand consistency. We look at giving your brand a unique identity and then we really dig into the legal aspects of each of these areas. We look at what are the do's and don'ts from a legal perspective as well as a marketing perspective in relation to building your brand identity. We look at ways to protect your brand and in particular, we look at the process of trademarks and trademark registrations. So if you are interested in understanding a little bit about branding for your business or practice and how trademarks can assist in the overall brand protection that can be offered to your business or practice, then listen in because here we go with a discussion between me and Michelle Taylor from Marketing Practices. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to this webinar today. We are so thrilled to have you join us here. Now, this webinar is all about branding and brand protection. So it's going to be a great webinar. It's really a unique situation to have marketing people and um, lawyers coming together into the situation where, um, you know, we're, we're collaborating and we're talking about branding and tackling from this particular area. So I can see quite a few people joining us now. We've had over 63 people register to attend this session. So, uh, so excited for you to join us. And Joanna and I would love to know who you are and where you're from. And also if you're a medical practice or a dental practice or um, we've got some accountants joining us, we've got quite a few people joining us on this session. So in the comments, um, sorry, in the chat section down the bottom, you're able to tell us um, where you're from and what your name is. That would be amazing. And we can see you popping in there. So thank you everybody for joining us. It's great to see you. And just a bit of house keeping when you are talking in the chat you can either um, let just the panelists know or let everybody know in terms of who you are so you're welcome to do either whatever you're comfortable with so thank you so much for joining us now we're here today for the topic of branding and brand protection and I know both Joanne and myself have some war stories and, you know, some some interesting um, <laughs> situations that we've come across. And the reason why we wanted to share this information with you today is to help you prevent that from happening to you and your brand. So just to introduce myself, for those who don't know me, I'm Michelle Taylor. I am the founder and director of Marketing Practices, which is a membership that helps 
overwhelmed uh, dental, medical and allied health practice owners and I help them with marketing. So I've been a, I guess I'm a self-confessed marketing geek. I've been working in marketing for over 20 years and um, my happy space is helping uh, practice owners with marketing. And I am so blessed to be joined by Joanna Oki from Aspect Legal today. Joanna, how are you? Joanna's an absolute trademark ninja guru. So we're super, <laughs> super excited to have you join us. How are you, Joanna? Thanks, Michelle. I am fabulous. I'm super excited today. Day. I love I love talking about this topic area. It's uh, very close to my heart. So um, so I'm really excited to drill into the area of you know branding and brand protection today for practices. Absolutely. And you've got two podcasts, don't you, that you run? Absolutely. So um, we're a commercial legal practice um, at Aspect Legal and we have two podcasts, Talking Law, which um, is all about providing smart legal advice um, for you um, in building your practice. And um, and uh, our uh, second podcast, which is The Deal Room, uh, which is all about uh, buying and selling uh, practices and businesses of all size. So yeah, so, so some great podcasts there. You can just find them um, in if you hit uh, your podcast player in whatever your uh, favourite podcast player is and look for The Deal Room or Talking Law. Awesome. And we are talking about branding and brand protection today. So we thought we'd kick off with um, with marketing and then um, and then the lawyer can bring us in. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good order to, um, to, to sort of pitch it in, I think, Michelle. It sort of absolutely makes sense because it's all about creating the brand and then working out how to protect it. But one of the things that um, I would love to hear more about because, um, you, you know, I find that um, this question that is asked time and time again that I hear is how is it that you can create a brand that really represents your practice well over time without avoiding the need to change it? And the reason that I ask that is because when I talk later about the brand protection side, I'll talk all about um, the issues that can be created if you're using different brands or different variations of the same brand over time. Um, so maybe why don't you kick it off by taking it right from the ground up and, and um, talking about how it is that you can create that brand from the beginning that will stand the test of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I should also mention that we're happy to take a Q&A session at the end. We left a bit of time at the end uh, for Q&A. So if you do have a question, there is a little question, um, a little button down the bottom of your screen on this webinar. Please just type your questions in there and Joanna and I will answer them. So let's kick off with really understanding what branding is. And from a marketing perspective, a lot of people kind of think that, okay, branding is the logo. And yes, that's correct. It is the logo. But branding from a marketing perspective is a whole bunch more things than just your logo. So it's your logo, but it's also your color schemes. It's the topography that you use in any of your marketing materials. Um, it's the brand personality that you want to present to your patients. And it's also all encompassing into the imagery and all those things that you use as well. So from a marketing perspective, I talk about branding that encompasses all of those different things from the logo right through to the imagery, um, the icons that you might be using, anything that you're creating to build that brand. Now, why is a brand important? It is incredibly important because your brand is how you represent yourself to your patients and potential patients. And it's also how you distinguish yourself from your competitors as well. So the brand is extremely important. And the one thing that I would say in terms of brand protection and making sure your brand lasts for a long time it, it starts with coming right back to the beginning. So when we talk about branding, we start off potentially if you're a new practice owner, for example, and um, you're thinking about starting a practice and you're looking at brands that, you, that you're the brand of your practice that you want to create, 
It's really important to look at two different factors. And the the first factor is that there is historically there is a tendency for practice owners to brand their practice the name of the practice owner. So let's just say Dr. Smith, for example. Now, this trend is diminishing, which is great. And there are a couple of reasons why that's happening and why it's not a good idea to be branding your practice in that way. Firstly, patients who come to your practice, they want to see the person whose name is on the door when you've got branding and signage as the practice owner. And secondly, and and that that creates issues, particularly if you've got associates within the practice. So all the patients want to come and see the practice owner and not necessarily the associates. And the second reason is that over time you might be looking at, and I know if you're starting a practice, this is probably a long way off, but you might be thinking about, um, you know, selling the practice or retiring and those types of things. And when the practice is your name, it is the value of that brand equity is pretty much worthless. Mm. Now, in my in my sorry, Joanna. Yeah, I, I just wanted to throw in there. I I absolutely agree. So we we work with um, many many practices right from the beginning all the way through growth and then to um, exit. So I see this pattern again and again. And there's there's two things I want to add to what you talked about just then. Firstly. You need to be looking at your practice in terms of how is it that I'm setting it uh, it up today so that it's set up for growth that I might potentially want into the future, you know. And, and so that's where when you're talking about the connection to your name on the door, you're, you're um, building a rod for your own back if you're not th- thinking further because growth can be incredibly difficult into the future if you're not planning for it right now. So that's that's the first thing. Um, and the, the second thing is that... That when you, if ultimately you would like to exit the practice, um, and let's face it, um, you, you know, the real value that you can drive out of your practice could potentially be at that exit, not so much. So everything that you're doing in these years of building up the business itself, you you know, you you get the opportunity to take a multiple of that into the future when when you're exiting. And quite often, you know, many many people don't think about this until close to the, you know, close to the period of exit. But if you think about it right from the beginning, you know, you're going to be setting yourself up for success. And so what does that mean? If someone is coming in to buy a practice, what do they want? What's the value in your practice? It's it's the clients, it's the patient database, right? And if that, if they are all connected to an individual name, the ability for you to transfer that versus it being connected to this brand, the brand of the practice itself is massively different in terms of the value that you'll be able to extract at exit, um, the way you'll be able to extract it, whether you get that money all up front or whether it's something that's just paid over a long period of time to ensure that the patients transfer over um, and 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 the value that's being paid as well and the ease of finding a buyer. So anyway, I didn't want to rabbit on, but I just wanted to reiterate how important it is to think about it now rather than at that point down the line when you're getting close to an exit. A hundred percent. And, you know, in in my past, I've worked with some large multinational companies and I've managed international brands. Um, And Joanna, I can tell you that the brand guidelines that I was dealing with in managing an international brand it was 200 pages long. Oh, oh, oh that's eye-watering. <laughs> so it was... Holy uh, hell, 200. Can I say that? Sorry, everyone. <laughs> 200 pages. 200 pages long. But I say that not to kind of scare you into thinking that you need to do that as a, as a smaller business, as a practice, but because of the emphasis that companies place on the value of that brand. Mm. Now... When you're dealing with brands, a lot of people ask me in marketing, this is probably the number one question, Joanna, that I get asked, and it is, what's the secret to marketing? Like, 
you know, how I could I get all those patients through the door, a beautiful <laughs> flow of patients that you yeah. coming in, loyal patients, everybody loving on us and giving us great Google reviews and all of that kind of stuff. What is the secret to marketing? And, you know, when I was at uni, when I was a young, um, young girl at uni and just really liked the idea of working in marketing, I probably didn't really even know what that meant at the time, to be honest. <laughs> but um, I, I honestly thought that it would be like big budgets, right? So, you know, big budgets were the secret source to marketing. You have more money, you can spend it, and, of course, you're going to make proportionally a, a lot more money. And I worked for several multinational organisations and I've managed multi-million dollar marketing budgets. And I can tell you here um, the great news is from a, a practice owner's perspective is that the secret to marketing is not big budgets. The secret to marketing is brand consistency. Mm. If, you, if you're consistently communicating your brand that you've built in a very consistent way, the value of that brand will show in every single piece of marketing that you do and you will attract patients in that way when you're consistent. So mm. it's, it's so, so important. I can't stress how important it is. You know, a patient should come into your um, practice in terms of the, the layout and the fit out of that practice and without seeing your logo, they should know what your brand colors are and what the brand personality is of your practice. And that's really when you've kind of nailed it in terms of, in terms of marketing. And, you know, it's not big budgets at all. I work with um, many, many practice owners who, you know, spend virtually nothing on marketing, but just do a lot of um, public relations and, and social media marketing to attract and retain patients in that way. So um, don't worry if you don't have massive budgets to spend. That is not the way you're going to be successful as a practice owner. Um, it is definitely more about consistency of that brand. Mm. Now, another trend in um, setting up a, a practice and, and branding. And there are a lot of practices, a lot of practices that, that have this situation is that they call themselves the suburb name, you know, medical practice or the suburb name dental care or having the suburb name incorporated into that practice name. Now it's, I, I get the reason why people are drawn to that because they feel like Within the local community, if you've got, you know, the, the suburb name on your door, you'll attract people from that local community. And there is often a misconception that it is easier to have a brand that ranks well in the number one Google ranking position when the practice name is the suburb name because patients will um, search for the suburb name and then practice. So, you know, if I'm looking for a local dentist in Chatswood, for example, I'll be searching for Chatswood Dentist. So just to kind of debunk some of those myths on that and let you know one of the reasons why I'm not a massive fan of doing that is two reasons. First of all, if you're doing it from that SEO perspective and to get a great Google ranking, from an SEO perspective, it's actually really easy to bump you off that number one position for the suburb name and um, dentist or the suburb name medical practice or medical center, whatever whatever people are searching for. It's actually the easiest thing to target um, for other competitors to target you when they're using that suburb name as the, the name. And the other reason is that, as Joanna had um, rightly pointed out previously, when you're starting a practice, often it's hard to think about what the future might hold. And, you know, you're so focused on starting that one practice and you feel like that's a big achievement, which it is. I'm not taking away from that. But you may get to a point where you want to open other practices. Mm. And if your practice is named after the suburb, it's really difficult to transfer that brand equity that you have for the original practice to that second practice. So it, it actually makes it harder for you when you get into those situations. So 
Sorry, I just I just want to throw in here. I'm so glad. Um, I'm so glad that you took that position because I completely agree. It's so much easier when marketing and legal can agree on the same things, right? Because um, some sometimes we're coming at it from different angles, and this is I completely agree. I'm going to add the the legal reasons here to back up exactly what you're saying, um, and and, and uh, you know um, to your second point, the growth point. I've already talked about this, the importance of setting yourself up for growth from the beginning. Begin with the end in mind, as the famous Stephen Covey, you know, quote goes. But um, that is extraordinarily important because you don't necessarily know right in the beginning how big you could take this thing, you know. Um, But but, uh, coming back to just that initial decision, for, for example, that whole Chatswood dentist, here we're talking about something that is very generic. So it's descriptive. It describes what you are. And that type of pairing of a name or, or your, a brand is extremely difficult to stop anyone else from having a competitor, from having something similar. So, you know, you might then have a competitor that jumps in with um, Chatswood um, ultimate uh, five-star dentist or something like that in the middle. And then then you're creating confusion in the market that can allow your competitor to basically be taking the goodwill from your practice without having paid you a thing. And this is why, and, you know, later on we'll talk about brand protection um, and how you achieve brand protection, but this is the reason for brand protection. Right in the beginning, you can't get that brand protection if you don't have a brand that is protectable and something that is descriptive, so, so a descriptive word and then location is just not protectable and so you can't stop competitors from using something similar so so 100% behind you um very aligned you need to be coming up with something that's a little bit unique and distinctive absolutely now I've got a real life example of this Joanna it was a dental practice it was a couple of years ago now um, so the original dental practice, and I won't disclose it because that's not what we're here for, but it was the practice name um, Dental Care was the original practice. And then a few years later, um, on the same strip of shops, so in, in a very suburban location um, with a kind of street frontage, kind of high street shops, a new dental practice opened up and they called it the suburb name Dentistry. Yeah. So we've got Boom. suburb there name you go. dentistry, yep. suburb named dentistry. From yep. a patient's perspective, um, they had situations where, you know, patients were showing up thinking that they had appointments mm. and the appointment was down the road. Mm. And it is a terrible scenario to get into mm. and it's quite devastating for that first practice. You know, they were sailing along fine, absolutely mm. fine for a couple, a good couple of years until another practice opened up. And unfortunately, which I'm going to get to in a second, um, often dental practices have stylized teeth or a tooth <laughs> logo, right? I, I, challenge oh, I know, or a smile. <laughs> I challenge anyone on this um, on this call right now, after the, the, web, the webinar finishes, jump over into Google, type in dentist logo, and then click on Google Images, right? And I can guarantee to you 95% of dental logos have a tooth in them or toothbrush. <laughs> so, you know, be really careful with that. And and this practice, they obviously, you know, came to me after that and said, you what can we what can we do about this? Um, because it's a generic term, there was no way that that they really had any kind of um, claim over the practice name and they had to do a rebrand at that point. And it's such an expensive exercise to do a rebrand. And, you know, the risk of once again confusing patients um, with that rebrand as well, it needs to be managed really, really carefully. So, you know, learn from the mistakes of others, I think, um, is is really important in this regard. So other ways to kind of future-proof your brand, um, make sure you do your research up front. Do your Google searching. Um, go onto Facebook and check whether hashtags are, uh, sorry, not hashtags, whether um, the handles are available um, for the social media handles of that practice name. And 
you know, I've seen a situation where there has been uh, a practice named the same, one in New South Wales and one in Western Australia. Practice name was exactly the same. The, the web domain was the same apart from um, .net.au versus .com.au in terms of the website. So once again, you know, this really creates confusion. So mm. be creative with your brand name. Make a brand out of it. Don't just rely on um, suburb names and more generic terms. Make a real brand of it. The, the, the companies that are practices that are absolutely nailing it right now um, have developed their brand into its own identity. It's not kind of um, using smile for a dentist or using, um, you know, other more generic terms for medical practices and allied health practices. So um, make a brand out of it, you know, make it a unique identity. Mm-hmm. And it comes to my next point, when you're starting out or if you feel like you you currently have a practice and you feel like you need to change your brand over because some of these issues are arising for you, I highly recommend creating a brief. Now, what that is, is it allows you to put all of your details on paper so that you know exactly what you're asking for from a graphic designer. And what that means is the brief contains information like who your ideal patient avatar might be. So if you're a medical practice that wants to specialise, you know, in in families and welcome children and all that kind of stuff, you know, you're going to have a brand that reflects that. You're not going to have a, um, you know, high-end brand that really looks like a day spa or a um, cosmetic dentist or something like that. You want a welcoming brand and a brand personality that reflects who your ideal patient avatar is. So that's kind of step number one is to figure that out and write down what your brand personality is. If you want it to be, you know, caring or friendly or um, humorous or um, natural, all those things, you need to figure that out before you brief a designer into when, when you're sorting out what you want your brand to look like. So make sure you include all of those things. And then, you know, research appropriate colour palettes. There's a website which I love using, which is called um, Colour Lovers. Joanna, there's a lot of people around that have a lot more time than you and I, and I'm sure everybody (laughs) else on this webinar, because what they do, they create designs of different coloured combinations and post them on this website. And you can go through and just search. So it's colourlovers.com. Um, and it's spelt without the, um, the American way of spelling color without the U in it. Um, but I think you can probably get there if you do the Australian version, but it's a great website if you're kind of looking for, for colors and designs and, you know, make sure that color is appropriate to your profession and the category. If you have a medical practice, you know, there's obviously the Red Cross, but nobody really wants to associate kind of blood with that. So red is that colour. You want to try and, um, you know, choose the right tones for your practice that are going to reflect, again, the image and the personality that you want your brand to communicate. So once you get your details into into a, a template, into a briefing format, then you can brief a designer. And, you know, I'm not a fan of using Fiverr and those types of things. This brand that you're creating is going to be very valuable to you if you do it the right way when you sell your practice. So try to resist the temptation to kind of, you know, go that that cheaper option. I'm not saying spend a fortune, but I am saying engage with a graphic designer. And there's some amazing freelance graphic designers that you can engage with to be able to kind of develop your logo. And of course, when you're doing that research, check it in with Joanna because she'll make sure mm. that you're not using or infringing on a trademark that already exists as well, which you don't want to do because then you're going to get yourself into a, a whole bunch of more issues there, which which we want to avoid. Um, so also make sure that you your brand that you're creating can be used consistently across all different elements of your marketing. So whether that brand be um, the signage on the wall, your website, 
on social media, absolutely, but also, you know, what your practice design looks like as well. If you've got brand colours, for example, with um, maybe a little splash of yellow in it, for example, you know, that should be a yellow vase that sits at the reception desk. Your whole layout needs to reflect what your brand is as well from that regard. And make sure you have a copy of your brand guidelines so that you can train your staff to make sure that they represent your brand consistently as well. So they're my tips on longevity, creating a brand that really is going to last a lifetime for you um, so that you can have a maximum amount of brand equity in the, the brand that you're creating. I just, I just want to add to what you're talking about, um, and it's great that you pointed out the importance of ensuring that your new brand, um, so that's either the words or the logo or both together aren't infringing um, on anyone else's brand. And and this also comes back to who you're using as designers, you know, what one of the risks of um, using a, a complete unknown is that they can be pinching these designs from other people. You have to be super careful uh, about things like that because, you know, I can lead you, land you in a lot of hot water. So it's really important to make sure you're using service providers who are, you you know, um, who, who um, you, you feel confident in the background of um, and, and make sure that you're getting those searches done when you're developing the brand. So the logo, on the brand, it's uh, the wording itself to make sure you're not infringing on anyone else's mark. So brilliant. And and I guess um, the one thing you didn't talk about, Michelle, but that I, I think is such an important thing for us to think about as well is like what what are those things that people do wrong? Like what are the do's and don'ts, I guess, when, when you're building your brand identity? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a couple of do's and don'ts. The first one is um, make sure that you, the brand that you're creating is very memorable and instantly recognised. The second one is to make sure that it is simplistic. So when when we're looking and reviewing brands, and if you have a think about all of the, um, the really well-known brands, right? So think about Apple, think about Nike, think about McDonald's, all of those brands, whether you align with those brands or not, they're really simplistic. Mm. They're not complex. They are very, very simplistic when it comes to the brand. And the reason is, A, because they've done a lot of research about psychology and about how um, people retain information, Um, but it's much easier for people to connect with and retain the information of a brand that is simplistic rather than something that's more complex. So, you know, keep it it really simple. Um, And I just want to throw in there, interestingly, those those three examples that you picked in terms of simplicity are quite often the examples that I talk about in terms of registrability. All of those three um, logos have really super, super, super strong uh, trademark protection. So you try and use anything similar to that and you'll you'll find you have a whole heap of cease and desist actions on your door. Um, so I, I love that. And obviously, um, you, you know, the, the owners behind them have deep pockets, but the point is they have the simplicity has served them really well because it's distinctive as well. So that simplicity plus distinctiveness has meant that it's something that they're able to stop other people from using because of their protection. So I just want to add that in as well. A hundred percent. It's super important. And um, yeah, you know, I I certainly um, am very familiar. Um, I used to work at Nestle actually in confectionery um, for confectionery brands. And um, I'm really familiar with the famous Cadbury's trademark of their um, purple. Purple, color. yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> it know, goes down the trademark law, yes. That's right. <laughs> A really interesting scenario there. So, and while we're on the topic of colours, you know, as I talked about, make sure the colours are appropriate to the category. Make sure that. You know, if you're um, if you're someone that kind of deals in pain medicine or something like that, you know, red is not the right color to be using. Go for the go for the more um, you know cooler colors to be able to kind of represent your brand. You don't want to be um, you know evoking that emotion 
using color. Um, you want to be calming and all that kind of stuff. And that's why a lot of dental brands, particularly, are the, the kind of blues and the greens. They're, they're cooling, calming colors. It's not uncommon for people to feel terrified of going to the dentist. And uh, building a brand like that with those colorings um, helps to portray that message and that brand personality that that you are, you know, calming and, and reassuring and all those types of things. Um, the other the other thing is that make sure that, that your brand logo and any brand elements are really adaptable to different types of media. So if you're printing something, for example, um, make sure that you've got a reversed out logo where you can use a black and white version of that logo if you're just printing on um, uh, on black and white colour, for example, um, and make sure that your logo is versatile enough to be in um, situations where it can be um, put on, on landscapes and horizontally and can work really well in both of those aspects as well. It's really important because sometimes people develop these, you know, really long skinny logos and if you put a logo like that next to something else that's a kind of a, a square logo, it just gets it gets diluted. It disappears and it just you can't um you can't communicate and see that information very well. So you know, they're, they're the kind of do's and don'ts of, of creating brands. Um, and I talked a lot about that in the, the previous question as well. But, yeah, you've really got to make sure that you spend a bit of time sorting out brands. And I often say, and, and you know, a lot of the people in, um, in marketing practices in the program are starting out in practices and we are going through that process of developing logos. Um, show it to lots of people put it on your fridge and walk past the draft versions of it because shapes and images evoke different things to different people. And often what you see with your eyes may not be what your potential patient sees with their eyes. So you might develop a logo that you think has absolutely nailed it, but someone says, oh, that looks like, you know, the the burger joint up the road or something like that. And you're like, how did they get that from that? But anyway, you know, Shapes and designs and stuff are really um, personal and you need to make sure that you're developing something that is going to be, you know, pretty universal and people aren't going to get confused by that because the last thing you want is for people to confuse your practice with something else. Um, it's just going to be a waste of your marketing spend, basically, mm-hmm. and we, we don't want that to happen. So, you know, that is the value of creating a good brand and that is um, how we get a brand that is going to be memorable and build a brand that's going to have a lot of brand equity in it. Um, Joanna, I'd love to hear from you. So how do you protect a brand and what what is protectable? You've touched a little bit on that, but, you know, for people starting out or for people looking at potentially rebranding because they might have fallen into some of these traps, what advice would you give to them? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, so the way to protect your brand is through trademarks. So you've probably all heard the word trademarks before, but may or may not know what trademarks mean. So we have two types of trademarks. We have a trademark that is just, we call it common law protection. So if you use a mark, you just sort of get this general protection um, that's called a common law protection. And then we have a registered trademark. So that's a registered protection. Now, the ultimate difference between the two is if you're trying to stop a competitor into the future using a mark that's too similar to your name, to your logo, um, what you'll have to do is different depending on if it's registered or not registered. So a registered mark, what we're able to do is send a cease and desist letter and we're able to say, you are the owner of this mark. You own this mark and your competitor's use of a mark that's deceptively similar, so very similar, is a breach of an infringement of the trademarks legislation. Um, So that's the first thing. And I, I have to say in... In this industry, dealing with uh, dentists, medical practices, allied health, it's quite a, um, what would I say, compliant industry. You know, you have to be compliant. There's a lot of uh, regulation around, but but that um, element also means that we get a really good response to cease and desist letters. So that initial action that we're taking um, to stop 
people from using a mark that's too similar to yours, but only if you have that registered protection. Because if you're relying on an unregistered protection, you, there's two issues. Number one, you're leaving yourself open to the other party claiming that you're not the rightful owner and you haven't got that piece of paper to establish it. So it's really hard to establish that you're the rightful owner, not them or someone else down the street. Um, uh, and and uh, the the second component is it's you know proving who the rightful owner is, but also that they might be able to get in first and get the registration in before you. And I have seen this happen, not in matters that are run by us. Actually, we may have been uh, perhaps advising our clients to do that in the past. But if 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 um if you send out a cease and desist action and you don't have a registered trademark, your risk is that they get in first. And trademarks are one of those things that is generally speaking, um, in a very simplistic view, it's a first in best dressed um, sort of situation. In fact, I've got this a fabulous example of a business that had been in uh, business for 40 years using a particular, um, a really fabulous, fabulous mark that they come up with. But the business owner um, didn't when, when they set up the business, didn't realise the importance of trademarks, as many of you do, as most, you know, people who are setting up practices or businesses don't. You know, it's not one of those things that you're just born with the knowledge of, right? Um, and, and what happened in this instance was after 40 years of um, being in business, um, she decided to sell the business and the buyer did a search and found another business by exactly the same name. And that other business was started, had been started two years before. So 38 years after this original business, but they got a trademark registration in. And because they had that trademark registration in, it would have taken this business that was selling um, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get it removed. Now they probably could have got it removed, but only if they were willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's the point. You need to get in early. So if you get in early, it's actually super cheap. And you, as long as you pay the 10-year registration fees, which at the moment is some crazy cheap price, like $400 every 10 years, that's like $40 a year. You know, it's the world's cheapest business insurance you can possibly get. Um, instead of getting a really, you know, something that's super easy to register from the beginning, if you do it later and other people have gotten in first, then, you know, you're risking having to spend sometimes 20 or 30 times more. So I've got a question um, and I'm happy to take them as I go because it relates to what I'm, um, what I guess what I'm talking about. So we've got a, a question here. Is a trademark only a name or can it be a logo as well? It can be both. And this is part of the complexity of working out what to protect. So you can protect the words on its own, you can protect the logo on its own, and you can protect the box and dice together. And there's different reasons that you might choose to do one or the other. Words on their own can be a much stronger protection for the words themselves, but sometimes um, it's dangerous to apply for the words themselves if there's similar marks around on the trademarks register. So that decision about whether whether or not you have your registration for the word or for the logo or for the two together is something that needs to be done um, with careful consideration. So there, you, you know, one of the number of um, detailed considerations that you need to be making when you're registering a mark. But but right back to the question, how do you protect your practice brand? It's you get a trademark registration, you get it early. So you get a right the right brand and you get the right, you, you get it in early, I, I guess is the answer. I, I think <laughs> in short form. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What's the process, Joanna, of doing that? Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. So um actually we've got we've got a great process document. So later on we'll we'll be sending you out a link. We've got a trademark pack that has a bit of information in relation to the process and each of the steps and you know the benefits and some myths that are out there. So um we'll be sending you some information later on about how to do that. But but the the first thing is a search. It's to make sure that there's no one else on the trademarks register that has a mark that's too similar. Because if you apply for a trademark and someone else has got something that's too similar, you're 
risking an infringement action. And whether you plan to register your mark or not, right in the beginning when you're coming up with a brand, coming up with a logo, before you commit and you start, um, you you know, start your printing, <laughs> you need to have a search done um, by people who know what they're doing to, to make sure that you're not putting yourself at risk of an infringement action for the use of that mark and that um, brand name because it can be really hard um, for you to find any way of searching whether people are using a similar logo without um, having a proper trademark search. So that's the first thing. You need to start with um, making sure that no one else has something too similar so that you're in, so that you're not making sure you're not at risk of an infringement action. And um, I um, I have some clients in the medical space who had spent um, $60,000 in the creation of a new brand. Now, good news, that's not what a new brand usually <laughs> costs, but they're a corporate, uh, they're a very large corporate uh, that, that we act for. But they, um, they, they had this brand created, paid 60 grand, and then they came to us as a last point. Okay, can we quick get this registered just before we go to market with this new um, product line that they had? Um, and, uh, and we said, uh, problem. This is there's actually a trademark registration very similar to this by one of the big banks in Australia who had a similar. So, so we're like, you're just putting your hand up for an infringement action here. So they had to bin the sixty grand spend and start again. So it's the wrong way around. Is all I'm saying. Don't spend sixty k before you've got the searches done. So that's just a bit of a warning for free for all of you out there. I but can um, imagine the discussions in that boardroom. Oh, <laughs> like can you imagine? Can you? I just um. And do you know what had happened? The, the marketing, uh, the branding company at the time had done their own searches, but because they're not trained. They didn't know how to do it properly. And I'm just like, well, that is the classic example of a complete waste of money because, you know, the, the marketing company just didn't realise they're the wrong people to be doing the legal work, right? Yeah. But um, it's because they hadn't had issues come up before and that's the thing, you, you know, and that's that's the thing, I guess, with this generic use of words and, and location and whatever. It's great until it doesn't work. It's great until a problem appears like this competitor that opens up next door, right? And that's when it's it's almost too late to do anything about it. You have to rebrand anyway. So you're better off doing this right from the beginning because it's not expensive. If you do it from the beginning, you get your brand right from the beginning and you get your brand protection done in conjunction. So so we've got a search. Um, for, uh, and then secondly, we have to make sure that we, we've got a brand that's registrable. So once again, not too descriptive, not just a descriptive word and location, um, and not a really descriptive logo, not just your teeth. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've, we've, you, you talked about that, Michelle, so I can back you up from the legal perspective because yeah. that won't be protectable. So you need to get something, you need to make sure you've got a mark that's distinctive um, and, you know, your legal team will be able to tell you what's distinctive from a legal perspective because it's a legal measure um, from that perspective. So you need that legal input as, as you're getting that brand together. So then the next uh, the next bit is the application and you have to make sure you're getting it in the right class and you have the right entity that's owning the trademark, which sounds like a funny thing to mention, but something many, um, ma many businesses get wrong. Um, and then after that, um, trademarks go into a process where they, um, if they're not accepted by the trademarks office, there's a process that um, that is followed. But once they're accepted by the trademarks office, assuming they are, um, if they're accepted by the trademarks office, they sort of sit in a holding pattern. Um, and the minimum period of time from application to registration is around about seven and a half months because of this holding pattern. And I'm not going to go into the details of why it's there, but if you're interested, we've got heaps of podcasts where we talk about this process in detail. But the long and the short of it is it takes a long time. So get onto it early is is uh, the long and the short of the whole process. It's not particularly hard as long as you deal with people who know what they're talking about. Um, and I say that because we deal with a lot of um, practices who are trying to enforce their brand. 
And the only time that you'll actually work out whether your trademark is worth anything, so is actually protecting your practice, is when you go to um, to use it to enforce your protection. And can I tell you, um, the majority of clients who come to us, at least 60%, even if they've had them registered by, um, you know, other trademark attorneys or lawyers that are out there, quite often we have this issue that the registration just doesn't provide the protection that they thought it provided. So we have to go back to the beginning, get new um, expanded register protection on and then go through this enforcement um, protect, uh, this enforcement process. Yeah, right. So how, how do you, if you are, if you do hold a trademark, how do you protect your brand then because obviously just holding the trademark doesn't mean that yeah. you can't necessarily go and you know 100% yeah 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 so super important you've got the protection there from the first place and in fact in many instances um, registration can help to prevent infringement anyway because if someone um, out there is looking to set up a new practice they, it's likely that they will go and do a search of the register or have their legal team do a search of the register and then they'll find that your mark is there and that you will block their protection. Um, so that's the first thing. Like it's actually this register that will help you stop new competitors in the market from thinking that this is an available brand for them to use. So that's the first thing. But uh, so that's on the prevention side. But if if a competitor comes into the marketplace and has a brand that's too similar, now you've got your registration. We um, we we do with our clients a cease and desist letter. So the, the letter says, you know, you're using a mark that our client has the ownership to. Look here, here's our trademark details. You can see that our client owns the mark and you are in breach of um, the trademark legislation by using it and a whole heap of other things. Um, and, and that's what we call a cease and desist letter. So it means you must stop doing what you're doing, stop using that mark. And we're extremely successful with even just that simple step of just sending a letter um, for getting competitors to change their brand. But one of the important things that reflects on um, how likely it is that it will be simple for you to achieve that outcome is how quickly you can nip it in the bud. So I think it's really important just to keep a watch on your own brand name in Google and have a have a watch um, set up in Google you can you can set up alerts for when you know words that are you know involved in your brand um, are posted um, on Google rankings or whatever you can explain that far better than I can Michelle but the point is make sure you keep abreast of what's happening in the market because the quicker that you act, the better. But once again, it's all about getting your trademark registration in um, right from the beginning. And a trademark registration done properly um, and thoroughly can still be really cheap. So, for example, um, trademark registrations through us, including all of your filing fees and a 10-year, so all your professional fees, so our fees, your government fees, your registration fees for 10 years, starts from around about two grand. So, you know, like I just think it is the cheapest possible business insurance you can get and it's protecting, it's insurance to protect that marketing spend. So all of that spend that you're um, incurring in terms of creating the brand and then marketing the brand, getting people um, in your area to understand the brand and understand the values that you represent and why they should be coming to your practice, all of that spend is protected through um, trademark registration. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, $2,000 or from $2,000 um, versus even just the cost of uniforms, signage, oh, websites, all of that, I mean, yep. that's, yeah, you, you're going to be looking at tens of thousands for, for that. Um, and that's 10 so, years of protection. It's just, you know, yeah. I can't believe that everyone doesn't do it as their very first thing. And uh, can I just tell you, the longer you leave it, though, the harder it gets and you, you'll just be spending a lot more money. So this is totally an example of a stitch in time saves nine, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you said, when it comes time to sell the practice as well, yeah. um, what the value of that brand is going to be at that point in time. And often if you overlook things like this, it'll kind of come back to bite you in the future. Absolutely. That's such a good point. That 
that exit point, making sure all of your ducks are in line right from the beginning and building your practice in a sale-ready state. You know, I just think that's the most clever way to build a practice. And as I said before, it's all about starting with the end in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're happy to take questions, and I've got a question that has come up here. Um, So it's from an anonymous attendee, so hello. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Words used on your website text, can some of it be from other websites or does it have to be original words? Um, So looking at that from two different perspectives, it's not necessarily a trademark issue, but it can be a copyright issue, which is a whole other thing that we haven't touched on today. Um, so, you know, from a marketing perspective, I, I I don't recommend kind of copying things from other people's websites, particularly Google sees that. Um, and if I'm creating some content that I might be sharing amongst a couple of different um, practices, I will tell those practices that they need to change those words by at least 10%. The reason is because Google will see the replicated information and they will penalise your website for doing it. So if you're kind of, um, if you've seen a blog post that you want to replicate and you're just going to copy and paste it, um, uh, ignoring all of the kind of legal aspects to it, but from a marketing aspect to it, Google is going to penalise your website for doing it. Yeah. And then, so I'll just throw in from the legal perspective, you know, you, you, you're risking landing yourself in hot water for copyright infringement. Now, there, there is a concept of the subs, the substance or how much of, um, the component that you've used is similar to, um, you know, the source, um, that can be a relevant consideration. It's really, it's just too much for you to have to be thinking about to get on top of like, where's the line? What side of the line am I on? I, I don't see why you would use copied content, um, at all, firstly, unless you have authorization for the use of it. So if you've got an authorization for the use of it, then that's another thing and, and, um, you are, you'll probably be required by the, um, by, by the owner of that copyright to recognize the copyright owner and to link back or whatever it is. But leaving that aside, you, you know, you just, um, I, I just don't see that there's any point in putting yourself in that sort of position. Just reword it. <laughs> Um, I think I, I think that's my suggestion, and uh, obviously there's super good marketing reasons uh, as well. So I think we're aligned. We're aligned in everything, Michelle. I love it, <laughs> Joanna. I have to say it's very uncommon for marketing and legal to be aligned. Usually. I know, right? How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're more commercial than other lawyers, which I really like. <laughs> So, yeah, it's certainly um, one of those things that you you wouldn't really want to do that. And, you know, if you're, um, let's just say if you're a medical practice and you've got a page on your website that talks about the flu vax, as does every other medical practice that has a page on their website talking about flu vax, um, just just make it your own words. Just, um, you know, paraphrase it in your own words and um, write it from your own perspective rather than kind of copying and pasting directly from somebody else's. And, you know, I get that a lot of the services offered are very similar um, amongst practices. So it's uh, I, I see where you're coming from in terms of, but, you know, it's just a standard thing. Um, just make sure it's in your own words to be able to do that. That actually raises another thing that I'll just mention super quickly. Um, we've had clients who've um, had dental practices. I think we also had a medical practice as well who had this issue, had websites and uh, received cease and desist letters from US-based um, stock image uh, companies for uh, infringing use of images on their website for stock um, photos that they say w- were being used without license, and that can be a real that can be a real issue because it may be that you've had that website up for ages, you've got no idea where the image even came from. So it's something to be really careful about um, in who you're using for developing things like a website and anything that involves your use of images that might be stock. 
images to make sure the right licenses um, have been used because it's it's really uncomfortable to receive these cease and desist actions and they usually come with um, you know a demand for thousands of dollars. I saw one for like I, I think it was a thirty five thousand dollar demand for for payment. So, uh, and, and you know, the, the practice owners were super uncomfortable <laughs> about it all, as you can imagine. So just be careful about that as well from a copyright perspective. 100%. You don't need that stress, I don't uh, think. Which absolutely. Is, uh, which is good. Now, we've got another question. Uh, if you have a registered trademark and a competitor uses a name or logo very similar but you don't find about it out about it until after 12 months can you still stop using the logo and name um is there a time limit before it's too late to stop the competitor yeah okay so um no it's not too late um i i you should get on to it as soon as you find out about it but there's not necessarily a too late. There's, there's no clear line about what is too late. So there's nothing that says if someone's been using it for three years, then it's too late. There's just, it's a very blurry sort of concept. But there's there's two ways of looking at this. There's like a strict legal um, answer, which is how the court's interpreting it. But that would mean that you're intending to litigate against a competitor. And in reality, litigation is very expensive. Um, and really, people don't like to be involved in litigation for very, very, very good reasons. So the answer is actually how strong can you make your case to the competitor that they should stop using the mark? Otherwise, you might take action like litigation because you really just want to deal with it by way of them agreeing or settling rather than you have to um, litigate. And the answer to that is you need to come from the strongest position possible and the answer to that is you need a registered trademark. So if if um you the the uh, the person who's asked this question um had come to us with an actual example where this is in place what we'd first do is have a look at the trademark register we'd see if they have a trademark registration because if they do this could be a very uncomfortable situation for you and you might need to think about rebranding rather than them, you know, um, but if you don't have a trademark registration in. But let's say, for example, um, you haven't got a trademark registration in and they haven't got a trademark registration in. Before we do anything, we will get your trademark registration sorted out because otherwise you're exposing yourself to them getting in first. So so it's a timing thing. It's, um, it's, it's um, an approach, but no, there's no drop-dead timing for when it's too late. Um, there's, you, you know, absolutely in that time frame of 12 months, you should be giving it a go. I mean, we've had great success um, even where competitors have been using brands for like five or six years. So, you know, there's no end date. I mean, there probably is an end date. I don't know if they've been using it for 20 years. Maybe maybe there's an absolute line there. I don't know. But... <laughs> No, that's fair enough. Awesome. Now, that is all the questions that we have time for today. And what I did want to say was, though, that Joanna has an amazing pack um, of information and you can get that by, I'm just going to get the email address. It's trademarks with an S at aspectlegal.com.au. Um, and if you email that email address, you can actually get a hold of one of these trademark packs where it's got all this extra information which um, Joanne has included there. So highly recommend you, you do that. I'll also send out an email after this uh, webinar. Um, you'll get the replay by tomorrow morning if you want to show it to anybody else. But I'll send an uh, email out today with um, a link to get that trademark pack. And that's a free pack. So there's no harm in, in doing that. Um, you should definitely go ahead and do that. Uh, I, I wanted to also talk to you about the marketing practices program that I offer. Um, so it's actually a program which is an ongoing monthly program where I help overwhelmed practice owners and practice managers with getting on top of their marketing. And within that program, I offer um, core training content that takes you right through everything from developing your brand right through to um, marketing and social media and all of those kinds of things. Um, we've also got an amazing community within there as well. And the great thing is you also get one-on-one -on -one, um, coaching calls with myself every month 
where I can coach you to doing the best you can when it comes to marketing and I can guide you in those areas. Um, <clears throat> there's a whole bunch of other things. We've got some social media templates that you can just grab and use because I know how busy people are and I know how overwhelming social media can be. Um, so it's definitely something to consider. And in fact, I don't even think I've told you about this, Joanna, but I'm actually closing the doors um, to the program wow. uh, because we're virtually full. So I've probably only got three or four places available right now for anyone on this call or watching the replay. Um, and then the doors are closing. And from now on in, it is going to be by application only because um, I want to work with everybody one-on-one -on -one myself. You're not kind of outsourced to um, a more junior person. All the the one-on-one -on -one work is done with me and I want to make sure that um, I'm really kind of maximising the potential of everybody in the program. So um, it's $2.99 a month, uh, which is great value when you consider what the value of potentially just one new patient is to your practice. Um, so I'll be sending out an email about that if you want to log in to the enrollment page and have a look at more details. It's marketingpractices.com forward slash enrollment. But I will um, pop that in an email to you after this. Awesome. Thank you, Joanna. Brilliant. Wonderful. Great. I think we've, we've certainly answered all those questions and it's nice to look at branding from those two different perspectives. I think it's yeah. a really unique opportunity here for everybody to um, to mm. listen to all this information from both marketing and legal. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, look, thanks. Thanks for everyone uh, for coming along and thanks, Michelle. I had a lot of fun. It's really, you know, it, it's great being able to talk, to look at this from both that marketing and um, and and legal, uh, uh, you know, perspective. And it's great that we had so much alignment, <laughs> I think, on what we were talking about as well. That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for joining us. We're so pleased to have so many people on here. As I said, there were 63 people all together. Um, that registered to attend this. So we really appreciate your time and hope that we've given lots of value back to you to help you with branding and brand protection in your practice. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye. Well, that's it for our episode today all about branding and brand protection. I hope you found this podcast and this topic relevant to you. And of course, if you'd like more information about this, then head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au where you'll be able to download a transcript of this episode if you'd just like to read along in more detail and where you'll also be able to find details of how to contact Michelle Taylor at Marketing Practices or, of course, how to contact any of our legal eagles at Aspect Legal. If you or your clients have a brand that you would like protected or any other branding issues. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. team at Aspect Legal specialises in providing trademark registrations and general advice on brand protection and commercialisation for companies and individuals based anywhere in the world. So if you work in creating brands or logos for businesses, or if indeed you're a business needing assistance in protecting your brand, we offer a free 15-minute consultation with one of our lawyers to discuss how we can help you or your client. We also provide free trademark packs if you want to get a bit of an understanding of the process and the timelines. And of course, we do more than just trademark registrations. We work with our clients on a range of issues to assist them in making their trademarks work for them. So if you want to find out more, pop us an email at trademarks at aspectlegal.com. Or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a free consultation with one of our specialist lawyers. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.